So here's the backstory of David Kinnaman, part two of our series on Love Jesus But Not the Church. Here's the thing. I love the local church. I really do. Through some of the hardest things that have happened in my life, divorce, depression, struggle, the church, the people of church, God's people, the family of God, have been there for me. But listening to David Kinman's first interview with me, about 64% of young people are leaving the church, it got me thinking that this next show is important. If we're losing that many young people, what are we, and I say we, I didn't want to blame it on anybody else. I don't want it to be an us and them conversation. I have to say me. What am I not doing to encourage young people uh, to stay? And not just the church, but they're leaving the faith, meaning they're, they're not wanting to follow Jesus anymore. They're leaving Christendom, Christianity, whatever, however you want to say, they're leaving it. So the backstory for me is that I always believed in megachurch and number metrics and success was built on the thousands of people that, you know, that have come. And what was interesting in this study that David Kinnaman did, that young people actually want intimacy, that they are struggling, that we are forfeiting meaningful relationships and helping them know Jesus intimately on the, basically because we're pursuing the success of numbers and the slickness of megachurch and brand Jesus and the hype. And if I look at Jesus, Jesus wasn't hype in that way. Jesus was hype because he was countercultural, and Jesus was hype because he was loving women, and Jesus was hype because he was doing everything that the religious people and Pharisees didn't want him to do. But it wasn't hype for the sake of numbers and being the most popular and, and getting the most likes on Instagram. So the backstory is this show is needed for me as I navigate church, as I'm part of the church world and ministry world. Here's the question for me, what am I doing? Why am I doing these things for God if it's actually not leading the next generation into an intimate, loving relationship with Jesus? If it's about me and becoming a celebrity and popular, then something's wrong. If it's about me being a part of an organization that just wants more likes and to be the best and most known in the world, but there's no love and there's no connection and helping people get to know Jesus intimately, then there's something wrong. That's the honest truth, that's how I feel. So I think with this show, um, it was good. Again, like I said in the first, um, you know, the backstory is that it's one that I'm learning through, I'm deeply convicted by, and the church, myself needs to course correct. We need to say, okay, how can I be a mentor? How can I uh, disciple and be present with young people? How can I be truthful and not hypocritical? How can I address the needs of the world and not just go, ah, it's a scripture verse. Just read Isaiah 41.10 and everything will be great. Just live by the fruit of the spirit, everything will be great. No, actually taking the time and having the patience to lovingly guide young people uh, towards Jesus and then let them choose him uh, above anything else. So that's the backstory. I hope that this show encourages you. Um, it does for me, it's, it's convicting. It's hard to watch because a lot of us are in mega church or a lot of us are pursuing those things within church. But I think we need to take a pause, go back to the core of Jesus, who is about loving him, love him and love others, love our enemies and love unconditionally and completely. And so that's the backstory for the show. 
Well, today on the show, we're back together again, Mel and Matt. It's great to be back. Part two of the series, Love Jesus, But Not the Church. And we're back with our powerhouse pastor panel and David Kinneman, president of the Barna Research Group, to discuss what the church can do and us to help the next generation be resilient in following Jesus in this digital Babylon. That's next on See, Hear, Love. Welcome back to the show for our part two of Love Jesus and Not the Church. Danielle, I did it. I did a question mark. Nailed <laughs> I nailed it this time. And welcome back to Powerhouse Pastor Panel. I don't know why I struggle with that. Powerhouse Carmen. Panel. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden we come in our like outfits. I know. It's awesome. Carmen, welcome. Thank you. Matt, as my trusty co-host, you actually wanted to come back. Great to be back. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you must be doing a good job. I'm more then. surprised you asked me back. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas is like, I'm vying for that position next. <laughs> Lucas, good to have you. And Danielle, Thank you so much. welcome. Great thoughts in part one when we talked about why young adults are leaving the church, 64%. And now this is part two, because now we want to talk about how we as a community, whether it's church or as pastors or people in community with young adults, how we can encourage them to be resilient in their following of Jesus and faith. So it's going to be really great discussion. So let's start off with our news and views, which I think is going to be really interesting to hear what you say to this one. So this is again from the Barna Research Group, and it was a study with Pepperdine University called the State of Pastors. So that's you. Hmm. <laughs> they did uh, interviewed 14,000 Protestant pastors from 40 denominations. This is what they found out, that the average age of pastors now uh, went from 44 to 54 years old as the average age of a pastor in North America. Hmm. And that seven out of 10 of these pastors have said it's a struggle to find somebody to take their place. So they're struggling with succession in the church. And one in three say they're at risk of burnout. And half of them said they face relational risks in their marriage, families, and friendships. Bonk, bonk, bonk. Sorry, I didn't mean to put like a downer on all of you guys, but that's that's what hmm. this new survey report is. Hmm. Surprising? Well, no, it's deeply connected, isn't it? 64% of young people are leaving the church. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> you just like yeah. over half your number of people who might even consider it. Yeah. And then if your life is like actually not sustainable or boundless or exciting or like, uh, then who's looking to want that? Like if this is like a toxic uh, you know, combination to your relationships and your marriage and you can't even really breathe for all mm. the problems you're putting out, then who, right. who wants that life? You know, it's not surprising at all. Okay. Tragic, but not That's surprising. surprising. Yeah. That's a tough billboard to advertise. Come, you're going to be burned out, <laughs> struggle with Overworked. your family. Yeah. Overworked. <clears throat> Think about it. I mean, Jesus is like, you want to be persecuted. Yeah. You want to face yeah. troubles. You want to like even deny your own family. Uh, come follow me, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So, but I think the problem is that we've spiritualized the institutional work of the church as though that's the call. Mm -hmm. Instead of Jesus's call was like outside, right. like to go to people who hadn't, mm -hmm. you know, yet. And that's, that's still exciting. People right. are still attracted to that. that. Yeah. 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 Lucas, what about your thoughts about these stats? Youth and young adults, like, they want to they wanna have a cause to live for. Mm -hmm. And if the leaders, they don't have this cause inside of them, how come, like, we're going we're gonna to bring it and show them, like, oh, don't talk to me about Jesus. Show me Jesus. Hmm. But we got to embrace that and we got to live in that way. Hmm. So, yeah, like, a lot of people, they're leaving the church. The leaders, they're totally depressed by this. But, again, we got to go back to the roots. 
in the road like it is just finding the cause of our lives. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Carmen? Yeah, I think uh, so often we get caught in uh, the cycle and don't have the courage to stick the stick through the spoke to stop the whole process. Mm -hmm. And when I hear statistics like that, I think we know it's not working. None of these stats were surprising to any of us. And yet the model that's before us and the expectations that mm. are perpetuated keep us stuck in this model. And so uh, I think it's a matter of saying, okay, when and who is going to be courageous enough to, I, this is a terrible devastating image, but stick the stick in the bike spoke. <laughs> so the whole thing flips over <laughs> yeah. to stop whatever the cycle is that tells us, because we have that heart for it, yeah. absolutely. But to stop that cycle and say, how are we going to do things differently mm -hmm. so that we can be investing in the generation that will step in behind us. Yeah, mm. Matt? Ooh, did you just breathe a little bit? No, I, I, I'm just thinking about that yeah. analogy that no one wants to get thrown off their bike because yep. we're just in motion. We want to keep it going. It's familiar. It's what we know. And but the, something and has the pace to of change. The urgency yeah. keeps us yeah. in that mode. Yeah, you just keep going, keep going. And yeah. you know, in any other place, if we knew that there was relational risks in marriages, families, and friendships, stop. Like we would, like they're literally saying one in three are at risk of burnout, mm. and all of them, half of them are at risk in their marriages, friendships, and families. Like at that point, you're like, okay, we need to stop and like take a moment, recalibrate and figure out what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Really, really great thoughts. Again, we could talk more about this and we can do that in our after the show thoughts too. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mel. Let's go to the second part of the interview Melinda had with David Kinneman, president of the Barna Research Group, looking at what the church can do to address uh, the changes that are happening in our church, how to encourage resilience and faith in the next generation. David, it's so great having you back here on the set of See, Here Love for part two of our series, Love Jesus But Not the Church. And so in our first um, time together, in part one, we talked about why millions of young adults are leaving the church. And we had, you know, six reasons, which are a little... Heavy, yeah, we but shed some tears together. We shed some tears. We did. We did. We were a little. We were feeling a little low, and I think this, in part two, is going to lift us up because now we're about the how-to. What do we do? To make what are we going to do? Yeah. Okay. So, in your book, your latest book, Faith for Exiles, just quickly, why exiles? Why are you calling these young adults exiles? Well, because we live in uh, this sort of what I call digital Babylon. It's a, a new context, the era of the smartphone, and exile felt like a great sort of descriptor, okay. and I'm, I'm inspired by the story of Daniel in scripture. He's one of my heroes of faith because he was able to be faithful in a context that was very foreign, a lot of pre power, mm -hmm. prestige, paganism, and so this generation is living in that same kind of pressure uh, place, and so I feel like we have to help this generation have a faith for exiles. That was the, the, the background. That's good. So number one, practice one, David. To form a resilient identity, we need to experience intimacy with Jesus. I feel like that's like a no-brainer, but clearly uh, that was a point that came up with young adults to say, we need to experience intimacy with Jesus. We're not getting it in the church. Well, if you think about the fact that two out of three people walk away from the church or from their faith entirely, I mean, they yeah. understand the claims of Jesus, but something's missing. It's easy to call yourself a Christian. It's <laughs> much less likely to find joy and, and your deepest identity in Christ. Essentially what we concluded is that we sort of market a brand Jesus yes. to this generation. It's almost like they get the t-shirt, they see the movie, they're like, yeah, I'm good yeah, with Jesus. Yeah. That's why they love Jesus, but not the church, is because we haven't actually taught them how to listen for Jesus' voice, how to mm -hmm. find their deepest, truest self in what Jesus says about us. And so we have a, a lot to learn about that. Um, and and we, we really end up studying one of the cool things, you know, I've spent my almost my whole career now looking at 
the problems that this generation is, is facing and, and how they talk about walking away from faith. And this study was fun because we literally turned that on its head mm -hmm. and we looked at the 10% who are the most resilient in their faith and we try to understand and articulate, not like why are you leaving, what are your problems, but why are you staying? Right. And so and when we learn that, they, they, they stay connected to Jesus. Yeah, and David, I like that, that they're actually saying we want more of an intimacy with Jesus. So church, help us experience that, understand that. And what you say is that through prayer and habits and mission is how we're going to get them. Correct. In that intimacy with Jesus. Right. I love that. And I also think that was good that you noted the brand Jesus. Because I think that, you know, what was in your survey, churches are cultivating this brand of church that feels too slick and to produce, which is so funny because it seems counter to mega church. And we want the best of this and the light shows and everything. And actually young people are saying, yeah, it's a little too much. You know, if we look at the story of Jesus' temptations, it, it was almost like what, you could say that he was tempted to be relevant. And I think this generation sort of sees the way we, we create corporate expressions or slick presentations. It's not that professionalism and excellence is bad in ministry. It's that this generation is skeptical if that's the only purpose. If it's not actually to usher us in to experiencing a real Jesus speaking to us in a real way. It sounds, they, it sounds like they want the authenticity and the honesty of it, of it all. That's right. It's good. Practice number two, in a complex and anxious age, the church needs to develop the muscles well, young adults need to develop the muscles of cultural discernment. So cultural discernment, when you look at Daniel or other exiles in scripture, Esther, um, you know, Joseph was exiled. They have to exercise a certain level of discernment. What's happening here? What are the motives? What are happening? What's happening to my heart, to my mind, to my passions? And so we have to teach this generation uh, to, to live, to think. Mm -hmm. It's not just an emotional connection to Jesus, it's a cognitive you know, thoughtful faith as well. Mm -hmm. And so those that are resilient demonstrate that. Yeah, and they're looking for this robust learning community. So rather than, I love this, they're doing education by search engine, the tyranny of now, passing the time and filtering reality all in screen. They want actually a learning community that's real within church. Sermons are important, but we also have to be educated. We have to, we have to there are classes and books we mm -hmm. need to read and discussions we need to have. And like, you know, people have been thinking about these issues for, for decades, sometimes centuries, and we need to connect our, our hearts and our minds to, to that as well. And if the church is just about, you know, sort of firing people up emotionally, but not connecting them to that mm, deeper intellectual good. tradition, yeah. that's why I say a learning community. Uh, it, it, the church should really help young people who are curious, connected, smart, uh, want to be engaged in the world. They should say, yeah, there's actually a great uh, tradition of wisdom that both from scripture as well as from Christian thinkers throughout history. That's good. Okay, practice number three, when isolation and mistrust are the norms, forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. So we've, we've, you have here two out of five Americans and Canadians say they're currently lonely. There's an epide epidemic of loneliness today, isolation um, and mistrust. And that's within that's you know within the church. And so, how are we going to create meaningful intergenerational intergenerational relationships? Isn't it crazy that we live in a more connected age, more social media, more you know access to information and anything? Right. right. And yet, people admit in our research they're twice as likely today than ten years ago to say they're lonely. Oh, that's so sad. So social media isn't yeah. always social, is it? No. And um, and so that that you know this this the church can be the one place where. Uh, people actually do experience a deeper level of connection. And this was one of the coolest findings in, this, in the study, was we had a whole, a whole series of relational metrics. Um, can you, do you have a friend you can talk to about your deepest secrets? Do you um, feel like your friends are honest with you about your weaknesses? Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like you are comfortable when you're alone? 
Um, because, you know, like, it's cool to be alone. Sometimes I'd be comfortable in that, even when we should also be with other people. Um, and, and these resilient disciples, the young people that were the most faithful in, in their pursuit of Jesus, actually had a, a, a much stronger relational set of networks. Yeah. Uh, they, they just, they, like, it's a really cool finding that, you know, for those who might be watching that are feeling really lonely, um, again, it's, um, it's, you can actually find true friendship and true relationships both in Jesus but in the church. Yeah. And um, you have to kind of push for it. It's not, it doesn't just come super easy and naturally, uh, but once you get to that spot, there is a sense in which you actually do find a deeper level of intimacy and friendship. That's good. And I think that for those who are listening and watching, I mean, they've got to get your book because I love how you talk about you know, the challenge of church as a business. We're all into mega church and pursuit of success and numbers when really young adults are saying, you know what, we want meaningful relationships, but you've traded that for church growth, which is, which is massive because there's been this you know, cultural shift, even yeah. for a Gen Xer, my dream is to be in megachurch, right? And so you're building church and, and programs and slick things right. and great PowerPoints and all these things. But what I'm hearing in your survey is that this next generation isn't really for that. My whole hope behind Faith for Exiles was to talk to those people who are feeling on the margins, who are feeling, whether they're in church or outside of church, but they want to find their way back to Jesus and back to a healthy expression of church. And so, you know, I'm critical of things in a healthy, hopeful, like truth and love way uh, to pastors. My dad was a pastor, so I feel like sometimes I'm coming alongside saying, all right, pastor, it's going to be all right. It's not all about you. <laughs> it's got to be about the people who, who are pursuing Jesus. So I, I hope this book can help people find that kind of faithful way uh, back to Jesus and back to the church. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See, Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See, Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. Okay, practice number five, the last one. To keep young adults in church, um, this is what you say. So to curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies, we need to engage in counter-cultural mission. Serving others, caring for creation, blessing others with our time and finances, living differently from cultural norms. That's what we need to do. Well, and, and you, you, you uh, blew by some phrases, entitlement and self-centeredness, and this generation is so often criticized for being entitled and narcissistic and self-centered and um, you know, whenever I'm speaking to a group of pastors, they, they often have this list of all the complaints. And I'm like, well, who raised I read generation? that. It was like hipster. If they were like, it was like, if you were going to say what a millennial is, what are they? And it's like hipster, yeah. lazy, video gamer, right? Beer, beard. Beards. As I'm looking in the studio audience, I see a couple of those. That's right. <laughs> right. But that's what they say. And I think it's so funny because then you turn it around and say, but who raised them? You're the parents of. Yeah. So you can say that all you want, but it actually comes on the you know boomers and others because they're our kids. And this is the great hope that we have in this generation and in exile um, is that this generation is ready to be activated. They want to pursue their faith outside the walls of the church. Um, if, if the faith isn't outside the walls of the church, this generation is more willing to be challenged than the church is sometimes willing to challenge them. And um, that's what we're seeing. They, they actually want to live a countercultural missional life. And they, they, they need to see models. They need to see mentors. They, need to, they, they want to see those things uh, displayed for them within the church. All right. Let's just, to wrap this up, David, though I could talk to you for hours, what's next for us? For me, um, 
you say get real and resilient hope. What do you mean? I want to be encouraged. I want to be hopeful. I want I want to share this hope with with more people. But what's what's the next step for us? Well, I've been so encouraged in the the pages of scripture uh, by the story of these exiles of people who found a way forward. I mean, one of the f most famous verses in scripture is that God has uh, a, a plans for you, plans for a future to give you hope, and that actually is given to people who are about to experience exile. Mm -hmm. So hope is actually it 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 burns brightest when the conditions are darkest, and I actually think that we can take great encouragement that God wants to use us. Uh, in exile in our current context and that that actually you know we interviewed uh, you know thousands of people for our study but but you project out those numbers here in Canada in the United States around the world we're finding that there are tens of millions of 18 to 29 year olds who are absolutely on fire for Jesus who who want to see their faith out in the world and so instead of figuring out how do we build a church that just can attract more people into it uh, what what could we do as the church to help support and um, energize and equip that next generation of Christian leaders. They're already being called and used by God. What can we do to come along behind, behind them like you and support them and you know, really fire them up in what God's doing in the world today? David, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course. Research, your thoughts, just being here, taking the time to just share with our studio audience and, and with people all over the world. And it, it's encouraging. And I'm, I'm coming away with a lot of takeaways. So thank you so much for being here. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks. Thanks, Mel. Great interview. Yeah. So many, obviously, so many things to chat about. Let's just jump straight in. Carmen, is it okay if we start with you? Sure. <laughs> okay, so the first practice was uh, in order to form resiliency in identity, there needs to be an experience, an intimate experience with Jesus. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, um, when I read Kinnaman's book, and as we've talked, this one grieves my heart the most. I think this is where the church should and maybe hasn't stepped into the space of being more countercultural than they should be. Mm. Um, for someone to say, I'm craving an authentic, intimate relationship with Jesus, we are the people that get to offer that to yeah. them and we've bought too much into the slickness, the quickness mm. and the smoothness that they're used to in every other facet of their life. And so I think one of the things we need to do is just stop and slow down, mm. which in and of itself is a very countercultural action these days is to be slow, move at the pace of relationship and invite people into the realness of who Jesus is, the depth of his character, and what that means is they step into relationship with him. And modeling that, right? Like Absolutely. what are the examples we're good. seeing yes. of yeah. what that looks that like? And again, knowing that for uh, for a time, and even with, with me, it was about creating slickness for the church, something that was attractive that a lot of people go to, that it was like the high point, that it was the, the cool thing mm -hmm. to do. What they're saying is they don't want no. that. They actually want intimacy. Yeah. You're like nodding, Daniel's like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it goes back to this idea of like knowledge about Jesus versus relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that the whole, I think our whole church structure, even how we even design a Sunday morning, if you think about it, uh, with a person talking at you, like it's, <laughs> it's more knowledge about, you know? So we go home thinking, yeah, I was really fed today, but fed what? Like just more information about Jesus instead of that encounter uh, with Jesus and how to form that relationship. So I, you know, I just like emphasize all, I have a whole movement that I do just around the practices of cultivating a relationship with Jesus. It's just that there, it's practice and it's time and it's energy and it's how to cultivate a real relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Everything that we're, we're, we're doing together as a church, as a community, is for us to be built so what we can go out there to all the spheres of society, governments, entertainments, arts, 
through every single like field in society and be over there like the salt and light, be the difference there. Right. How do we do that? I think that's a very practical question because young people are saying, no, seriously, how do I live? So when I'm faced with a moral dilemma or my, my teacher is saying this or I am at a party and something happens or we're having a conversation about politics, how does my faith in Jesus right, work itself out in these decisions and conversations? That's what they're saying because they don't have the tools. Yeah. So, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the practices that I encourage a lot is daily, weekly, monthly. So like healthy rhythms of cultivating a relationship with Jesus. Uh, for me, I, I kind of like mind it down to surrender generosity and mission. That's really I good. I like those. Moves from, um, like our tendency can be to try to find on our own in isolation the information, the answers we're looking for. Mm -hmm. But even these rhythms that you're talking about, Danielle, when they're experienced and discovered and practiced in the context of community, yes. we're, we're learning. And that's so important where if we have our screens, we have access to more information than ever before on our own. Mm -hmm. right. So the church to me is hopeful when it provides safe space for people of all different backgrounds, ages, stages to come together and say, so what do you think? Yeah. And learning together. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Well, that's a good segue <laughs> into number three, Matt, because they say when isolation and mistrust are the norms, two out of five Americans, Canadians say they're currently lonely. Hmm. They're isolated and we're living in this sort of individualization society. They are saying we need to forge meaningful intergenerational relationships. Yeah, I just had a conversation with a young couple about to get married and they've been in like this really great small group setting and, and they were saying, I think we need something where there's people at multiple stages around us because we've loved the season of being with our peers and kind of the similar stage, but we recognize um, we're kind of cutting ourselves out from more understanding or experience or struggle and listening and learning from other people if we kind of close ourselves in. Yeah. Here's a difficult question I'm going to ask <clears throat> two of you or maybe more as far as church because you're both in large churches. And in this number three, they actually are saying that churches become a business and the pursuit of mega church and big church on the backs of meaningful relationship. What do we say to that? Yeah, I'd say um, you're right. It's not that it's good or bad, right. but man, if, and I, I work at a large church, yeah. we now have to steward this extremely well because it's actually really easy to have different measures of success. Mm. Um, a Sunday morning can happen and by all intents and purposes, we've checked off every box and be like, all right, we did it. But when you, when you change the metrics to say, but how did people feel safe, like they belonged mm -hmm. and welcomed? And so, so often, even with my staff team reminding, God is all about the one by one by one. Yeah. And that involves some surrender, that involves trusting that he is at work doing transformation and valuing the proper metrics so that we're caring about the people and trusting that over time, that will be what cultivates those meaningful, rich relationships. And that has to stay our value. Yeah, mm. good. Lucas too, because you're in a big church too. Actually, there's a misunderstanding of the meaning of a mega church. Because even for example, when we're gonna go to heaven, it'll be a mega church. <laughs> it'll be a huge church. But I think now how we do mega church that we actually focus more on programs and not on the one by one. And not on like intimacy, like it goes back to the first point. Like if we're offering all these programs, but we cannot see Jesus there, then it'll be simply like a mega church with a program like that now we are competing against like movie theaters, against other right. things in life that, wow, they're so attractive as well. Yeah, that's mm. good. Number five, really good thoughts. Uh, they're saying helping us curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies uh, we need your help to engage in countercultural mission. Mm. Good for them to say that. Okay, you're saying that, 
we think that the best way to curb that is for actually us to think outside of ourselves. Help us do that. You're probably like, yes, I did. Yeah, I, well, I spoke, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> like, of course. With, yeah. Hello, with my whole life, yes. Uh, but I, I spoke every year at this massive stadium event in Edmonton for young people. And uh, it was right on this, like, main strip of a, 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 later on after I would speak at this event, I would go out with an outreach van and pick up young Aboriginal girls off the street. And I used to, I would say to the organizer of this event, I would say, like, how is this, we're, like, there's 10,000 kids in the stadium worshiping, mm. and then it will have zero impact on the girls on the street. I don't get how this is so disconnected. How can this be, ha on the same street, how can this be happening? And so he, you know, he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to change, like, I want to take the street. Like, I want to take the worship to the street. Like, I, I want to, ah. And so he's like, try something. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do a prayer walk. And so Friday night, I got up on the stage. And I just said, if you want to join me at a breakout next, tomorrow, we're just going to prayer walk down this very dangerous street where women are, have been for sale and girls are missing, Aboriginal uh, missing girls. And we're just going to say, we see you, you matter, we're praying. You know, and then they booked the breakout right during like all the big bands. So like every big band you can imagine, Christian band is like at the same time. <laughs> so we're thinking, I'm preparing for like maybe 25 diehard, you know, social justice kids that are like, okay, let's take back the street. <laughs> uh, over 500 kids came. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, wow. it was literally not a hard sell. It was, but here's what, here's what we, here's what I understood. I didn't even have the right permits for that. Like I was like, <laughs> oh no, that's how big my faith was. But it's not even a faith issue. It's that that generation wants to get there. Like yeah. they're already there. Like we're, we're racing, trying to keep up with them in terms of creating ways for them to actually engage with the deep needs of the world. This is way more interesting than another band concert. Wow. Mm. Ooh, again, it's, it's, I mean, it's good to hear this because that's on us. A lot of that, these things that they're saying are on us because we're the ones who are in leadership in churches and ministry and they're saying, okay, you want to help us be resilient and stay close to Jesus? We're going to need your help with this. And so I think mm -hmm. that is good. Now, I know we're going to have some after the show thoughts so that we can fill in some things. So everyone's like, man, I have more things to say. <laughs> I know. Well, to help us sort of sum all this up with scripture and with encouragement, let's go to Joanna now as she shares from the good word. Thanks, Mel. Thanks to the panel. I'm loving this important conversation we're having around David Kinnaman and Barner Group's research into why people are leaving or why people are staying in the church. It reminds me of this text in Hebrews chapter 10, and I love how it says in the message, so let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together, some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day of Jesus's return approaching. This is the call to action that we need. This is the wake up that this research brings to us. This is the same truth for the last 2000 years. Let's do it. Let's move forward together. There's so much work to be done and particularly in caring for one another. I love how it says in this version of the text, be inventive in how you care for one another, spurring one another on in love. God who is love invites us to be love to one another. There's a generation who is looking at us 
to see if we actually believe this. Do we actually believe that Jesus is real, that he died, he's resurrected, and he's coming again? Do we believe it? Has it transformed us? And are we inviting others to be transformed by it too? We do that through every means necessary, every inventive way we can in the digital age and in the analog world to connect, to be with one another, and to be a meaningful place of love and commitment to one another in the church as we spur one another on in this faith. There's so much work to be done. We have so much to do to love and care for one another. So would you do it with me? Come on church, let's do it. Thanks Joanna, great thoughts from The Good Word. And thank you Danielle, Lucas, Carmen, and co-host Matt mm. for your really great thoughts. Some really like challenging and convicting things that were said. And uh, I'm gonna take those home with me and think about those and, and, and make some changes. I think some practices, I need to do some practices. Uh, let's do some takeaways. Maybe, I wasn't gonna say do a takeaway on how you did as a co-host. Yeah. <laughs> Would that be awkward? Yeah, okay. everyone can okay. tell me. <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. tell you. <laughs> takeaway for you, Matt, on this show. I, was... I think I feel encouraged about the idea of uh, church community being a learning community. Mm -hmm. And in that, we're not uh, presupposing that we have the answers come to us and we'll help you learn by opening it up to have learning back and forth. And mm -hmm. considering, like, instead of the sermon being the primary vehicle for dispensing information, what does it mean to learn and shape each other? Because I think the generation has so much to offer and teach us. Mm -hmm. We just have to have a posture of listening. Yeah. My takeaway, ditto. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to throw my <laughs> takeaway out because that was good. I think in the end, it's we need one another mm. and we need to make some changes. So thank you to you, our viewers and listeners, for watching See, Here Love today. If you want to watch the full interviews of David Kinnaman, please go to uh, our YouTube and subscribe. Go to our podcast to hear the backstory of how this show came to be. And if you want some blogs and great inspirational resources to accompany the show and read, please go to seeherelove.com. And remember, as you navigate church and Jesus and faith and community and practices, Know that always you are seen, heard, and deeply loved by God. Bye-bye. Melinda's Hair by Paolo Marola. Melinda's Clothing sponsored by Denise Boutiques. Clothes for every woman. Shopdenise.ca. Deeks Insurance is a proud sponsor of the See Here Love Studio. See Here Love with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.